between never-ending laundry cycles, and believe me, I know about those, and incoming emails, and maybe you're like me, you've got kids being going back to school within your house, you've got a never-ending to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal or next several meals. Take advantage of DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners of The Full 60 can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code FULL60. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code FULL60. Don't forget, that's code FULL60 for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Full 60. And I don't want to say it was hastily thrown together, but we had to put this group together based on what happened over the weekend with Mike Milbury and NBC and Katie Strang writing one of the best uh, columns I've ever read at The Athletic. And she's joining us, and Richard Deitch is joining us, who is a senior media writer at The Athletic, also uh, on Fan 590 and Sportsnet in Toronto. Guys, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for assembling on short notice. I am so excited to have this conversation. Thanks for having us. I mean, a chance to be with the athletics' biggest star, Katie Strang, for me, is exciting. So thank you, Craig, for the invite. <laughs> well, I'm happy to do it. Let's start there. So, Katie, I suspect that the your column, your your whole goal, it was just a humble brag to tell everyone you've got that you're cycling and you're exercising. That's that was that was my takeaway. <laughs> you weren't the only oh, one. You were not the only one. Uh, I I am proud of myself, though, that like after you know basically four months of sitting on my ass I'm like finally kicking it into gear and just like holding myself accountable but sort of the daily you know the daily rage cycle makes it a bit more palatable and easier for me to get over that hump so yeah do you find if you're super angry it it makes it go by faster yeah I do I, I I do find that I also I don't know how you like what puts you in the mood to write, but like I do find that I write with a bit more clarity um, if there's mm. some anger behind it. Do you? Um, no. Okay. No, I like I, I don't. And I don't feel like I do it often. Um, yeah. I don't write columns often. I'm pretty right. judicious about when I weigh in on things. I'm I'm not big on like performative outrage, um, so I only really try to weigh in if I really feel like something is egregious. Yeah. But when I get there, I do find that, you know, if I'm that passionate about something that it's going to, you know, sort of have me set my other stuff for aside and, and write a column, then it, it flows 
much more easily than, say, an investigative story or a feature. Right. All right. So I'm just going to, in case the listener isn't clear. So Mike Milbury says what he says uh, about women being a distraction in the bubble. And, um, you know, everybody, it's just the latest in a line of Mike Milbury kind of caveman comments that just (laughs) have gone on for a while. And it it just, it seemed we really, as a hockey community, there was just a tipping point. People are like, certainly there's got to be somebody better at at this who, who doesn't share that opinion than Mike Milbury and Katie uh, reached out in it, like angry Katie is 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 probably my favorite version and <laughs> just because I know I know something great's going to be coming down the line and said hey is anybody running on this I'm like oh, wow you absolutely dive in and you banged it not only did you bang it out quickly <laughs> because you were angry you had to write it twice because I accidentally the deleted, deleted the first version yikes <laughs> Yeah. What? And so let's start there. What? Like this isn't the f- first time he said anything. You know, like even earlier in the playoffs, you know, with the Tuka Rask stuff, everybody seemed to be very understanding of Tuka Rask dealing with family issues, except for Mike Milbury. Um, you know, this the, like the, what was it about this that finally was like, you know, Uncle? So I think for me, the Tuka comments really upset me. Um, first, those, you know. Regardless of his family situation, you know, I do not think it's our right to judge anyone, you know, for making a calculation about what is best for them personally, professionally, for their family, for their health. Um, And so I think questioning his commitment to his team and judging him in that way was really reckless and irresponsible. And I did not like that. So I was a bit fired up about that to begin with. Um, And then, like you said, it was just you know, I don't even feel like it was a week later that this happened. And, you know, I knew about it at that, that night, shortly after it happened, I slept on it. I woke up still, you know, pissed about it, but there's actually some of the anger that I felt was toward myself as well. And let me kind of unpack that a little bit. Okay. Um, when I was talking to people like, you know, I talked to you, I, I talked to probably five or six other people before I decided to write. You know, at first I was kind of rolling my eyes, like, oh, here he goes again. You know, yeah. just another one of these, like we dealt with it, you know, with the Tuca stuff. We've dealt with it a couple times previously in the playoffs. You know, of course it's going to be him that says that again, right? And just this sort of, you know, uh, collective eye roll about the situation. Right. And then I kind of like took a step back and I thought like, you know, why am I just like eye rolling and sort of throwing up my hands in futility about this, right? Like, am I just accepting that this, you know, this is Mike Milbury and this is what he does and, we're, you know, this is what we live with, right? And this is what we accept. And I thought, you know, if I, if I am willing to just accept that, then I am also part of the problem too. Mm-hmm. You know, I am complicit in that as well, that like... You know, if if you hear something that really upsets you or bothers you, you know, I think it's important to speak up. And so I thought, you know what, I I am going to weigh in here. I don't do this often, but I really do feel strongly about this. I feel like I've had enough. And if I feel like that, I I sense in judging from those conversations I had earlier that everyone else, you know, a large swath of people are feeling like that too. And so that's sort of the impetus behind why I chose to write. 
Richard, what was your reaction? And did you, you know, when you heard what Mike said, and and did you feel that same kind of wave of enough is enough? Uh, well, first, it's actually very interesting to hear Katie's sort of thought and writing process on this. And I'll be totally transparent with your audience. I, I mean, I didn't come close to, <laughs> I didn't come close to that kind of um, uh, self reflection and asking other people what they thought. I read Katie's column. Um, I thought it was a phenomenal column because it was, it struck me as a column that, that was honest. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think both of us know Katie. I don't find her to be performative. I think in some sense we're, we are all performative as writers and certainly there is performative um, things on Twitter. And I, I'm, I'd be guilty of char, uh, guilty as charged on that. It's not to say I'm tweeting things that are false, but I think in a sense, we, we certainly use sarcasm or amplification to push our, our point across. So I read Katie's column and I was struck by it. And I did actually uh, uh, slack with her. And the one thing that I came away with it, and I understand her reaction to this and you know i'm uh, my reaction was probably different just because of um i'm just gonna be honest my one probably the fact that i'm not as immersed in hockey as katie is two probably my gender and i i I, while his comment was misogynistic and offensive i think if i was a woman in hockey i'd be far more offended so when i thought about it craig and katie what i thought was that and some of this has to do with the fact now that i live in toronto and I, I have seen more hockey now in the last two years than I did the previous three. And for full disclosure, I do work for Sportsnet, which obviously uh, has the, the NHL rights package up here. But I, I watch a lot of TSN and I, and I watch a lot of Sportsnet. And what I sort of came away with was that the hockey viewer deserves better than Mike Milbury. And the hockey viewers deserve better, better than Mike Milbury for a long time. Because writing about this stuff, to me, the, the main role or the, the principal sort of responsibility of a sports TV analyst is to educate. Maybe it's to entertain mm-hmm. too, and, and that's a fair uh, thought from producers. But for me, the people I value most in the business are those who educate me. They make me a smarter sports fan uh, regardless of what sport I am watching. And so I just asked myself, like, when was the last time I learned anything from Mike Milbury uh, when he was a game analyst? And prior to that, quite frankly, when was the last time I learned anything from Mike Milbury when he sat in the studio? He was hired, I feel, to be sort of a uh, a bit of a uh, Don Cherry light, you know, U.S. version of what Don Cherry did famously in Coach's Corner. And I just think the the sport has gotten smarter and the sport has gotten mm-hmm. better when it comes to television presentation. And Mike M- Milbury, to me, just feels like someone who is is steeped in – television from a different time, somebody who can be occasionally controversial, somebody who can say something, you know, with outrage and outrage and controversy is great if you are educating me as well. And so that's where I, after reading Katie's piece and obviously after seeing what Milbury had, my take was just that like the sport deserves better. Uh, hockey viewers deserves better. I'm not calling for Mike Miller to be, Milbury to be fired. I don't think it's quite frankly, I don't think his comments deserve termination. Maybe others do. I, I don't. And I've been pretty consistent on that with a lot of people who have said probably far worse things than Mike Milbury. But I just, I think, I think it's such a great sport and it's such, a, it, and it's got such great potential as a television sport that the sport and particularly NBC viewers deserve better than Milbury as an analyst. And that's where I was coming mm. from. Let me follow up on that because I, I expressed 
uh, very similar feelings in that you know I, I, I and this is not like if he was insightful it's still the you know it doesn't make the comment okay like I want to be clear like I'm not saying hey if I found him entertaining and insightful I would I would be more tolerant of you know bad opinions but like I, I said yeah I, that's how I felt like I, I watch you know Ray Ferraro and I feel like I'm learning something and I'm getting insight or I listen to Kevin Weeks and I feel like I'm getting insight I, I, I don't feel that way with Mike Milbury and someone kind of I don't, it wasn't a devil's advocate, but they're like, well, you're not the target audience for NBC. Uh, it's, you know, it's they're, they're not trying to appeal to somebody that's that, you know, is is on a, on a day to day basis. Like, what are you what is NBC's target audience, Richard? <laughs> you would know, like, you know, what I mean, are they is are they trying to appeal to the fan that's just turning in now for the playoffs and likes, you know, hockey is a, you know, tough guy sport or or. Like, what should they be appealing to? No, first and foremost, they are appealing to you. You're 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 a you're a diehard hockey fan or a ho- or a right. hockey watcher. Now, you probably will watch it if they had you know, um, they had me calling the games with Doc Emmerich, which would not be a good broadcast. <laughs> but like the you know, you'd still be there because you're a diehard. Yeah. But yeah, of course they're right. appealing to you. You're you are there. You know, you fit into their. Um, to their core audience, you have to keep the core audience, even if the core audience is generally speaking always loyal to you. So NBC, you know, it ne- networks, of course, want the the largest swath of people to watch them. The reality is, hockey is still very much a regional sport, and um, it it has trouble attracting large numbers of U.S. audiences. Um, I think for that reason, there's, you know, a million other arguments you guys have probably written about them in terms of promoting younger stars, et cetera, et cetera. But so in short, NBC wants everybody. But but the reality is what they have to keep is because they are a um, because they are not the NFL and because they sort of they they well, I wouldn't call them niche. I, I wouldn't call them uh, a mega viewership sport either. So they have to keep the people who sort of um, who who follow the sport week to week, who are going to sort of be there on a week to week basis if the presentation and production is is first rate. So mm-hmm. I would say that you are far and away, you and Katie are far and away um, the the people that they want. I would also say, if just sort of extending this, if you are looking to bring newer viewers into the tent, and ultimately all these leagues have to have. 18 to 34s um, float into their ecosystem, even if the advertising market that they sell to is 25 to 54. You need the 18 okay. to 34 year olds to follow your product because ultimately they're going to be the people with discretionary income. And I would say to me, um, that would mean analysts who are facile with analytics. It would mean analysts who I think see the game the way um, modern people see the game. I think that would be analysts who are inclusive, who um, who are interested in things like hockey being more diverse and bringing more people of color under the tent and bringing more women under the tent. So I think that's just that's a demographic play. That's where the United States of America is going demographically. So to me, if you're Sam Flood and the rest of the cats at NBC, you need to be thinking that way. The irony is, and then I'll sort of see to Katie, of course, is that they've done that in a lot of ways. Like, you know, they, they brought A.J. Malesko in, who's an excellent analyst. I think Anson Carter's fantastic as a studio analyst. He's thoughtful. He's smart. Um, you know, I, I, like Catherine Tappan is a quality host when she does stuff for NHL Network and NBC. So, like, 
Uh, and then I think that broadcasters are good. I mean, I, I think Kenny Albert and Mike Emmerich are as sort of good as it gets as a one-two punch on a, on a network. So in, in many cases, they have actually done this. Milbury, right, to me, right. stands out as this outlier from, again, this era where, you know, Terry O'Reilly and Mike Milbury and, you know, Don Cherry went into the stands and started beating the hell out of people. It just it feels like a bygone era to me. Yeah, Katie, I'd be curious to get your thoughts. Like, because I, I feel what Richard's saying. Like, we are the target audience, but at the same time, like, we're we're not going any Like, we're watching it. Like, we're it's, hockey is such a niche sport, so, like, you wonder – you know what what could they do that we wouldn't watch it you know what i mean like i guess that's the heart like are you shutting off if if they keep rolling out people like mike milbury i guess yeah that's a hard question for me to answer but what i will say is while i think mike milbury very much represents as richard said sort of a hearkening back to a bygone era um i do think there is a place for, you know, nostalgia and, um, mm. you know, having some level of continuity, some institutional knowledge, some idea of the history and the evolution of the game. And, you know, Mike has experience as a player, a coach, and a GM. And so I do think he, ha- he possesses information of value to viewers. My issue is I don't feel like he imparts that. Like he could definitely tell some great old timey hockey stories that are appropriate that I think would enlighten and entertain his viewership. Um, But I don't feel like I see that enough. And I think, you know, if he provided that, you know, it would be a different story, but I'm not getting that from him. I'm not learning from him. I'm not even getting an insight really into, you know, how the game has changed from, you know, when he was GM or, or, or whatever. Um, right. And I think, again, that goes back to the problem. You bring up Ray Ferraro and he, to me, is the gold standard. And Absolutely. what I like about Ray is not just that he educates, it's that Ray's pretty honest. And, and that does produce, <laughs> and I wouldn't say controversy, yeah. But he, and I don't think he's polarizing anyway, but he's also not afraid to be honest and he doesn't pull punches. And that to me is really compelling television which, without this sort of, you know, feeling like an announcer is almost becoming a caricature of himself. And so right. that's what I really appreciate about watching Ray. And that seems to me almost universal among those of us you know, who watch hockey regularly is an appreciation for that level of insight and perspective. And I think that is conspicuously absent from this sort of commentary we see from Mike Milbury. So what, what makes Ray Ferraro, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because you could say, okay, if we're going to compare these two side by side, um, both guys don't pull punches, right? They're going to say what's on their mind, um, I guess. But what Ray does so well, like when he's not pull, when he's not pulling punches, it means he's not he's willing to be critical about a player in a really smart analysis. Mm-hmm. And 
to the point where, and, and I, you know, I think he is set, like he he makes a point of not to get too close to the players. Like he's not a guy that's gonna because he he doesn't want his personal feelings about a player to interfere. And like I, I respect that. Like he really wants to give the fans. Like fans are really smart, so they understand. They can tell if people are are withholding information or, or trying to pander to both sides or whatever. Ray, you know, Ray doesn't pull punches. Where Mike Milbury also doesn't pull punches, but it it doesn't feel like it's smart analysis, right? It's I guess a caricature, I, and, and I don't know how to articulate the difference, really, yeah, other than it doesn't seem smart. And the other you know, point that I would make, and I'm glad Richard brought up like just the abundance of talent I think that NBC Sports does possess, is I also think Mike Milbury puts his teammates um, at a disadvantage, and I think he puts them in really tough positions. Like, if you're having that convert... So I'm not... I would be a horrible analyst, by the way. Um, I'm yeah. not claiming that... You know, I I would be horrible, right? And it, and, and it's a hard job. And I'd like to get to that later. That like I you know I do think we have to offer people you know some grace when it comes to slipping up and making mistakes because everyone's human. But what I'll say is, um, I'm not particularly quick on my feet. I react like pretty slow to situations. And if I were Mike Milbury's broadcast partner in that scenario. Um, first of all, my mind would probably take like two minutes to catch up to what he had just said. And then you look complicit if you say nothing or you're, if you're quick enough actually to keep up with what he's saying and register that it's offensive, you're then put in a really tough position of, are you going to publicly rebuke him like on air, which is also a super weird thing to have to do. And, you know, it puts people like, AJ and Catherine in a really tough position um, as women that like, do they feel the need to have to like weigh in about his comments? That's not fair to them either. So I kind of put myself actually in his partners. um, And I think it was Brian Boucher that night. um, I put myself in his shoes and I thought it's to the point where he's, he made, he's made like four, you know, I think (laughs) you described him as pretty good, pretty caveman, like, comments over this playoff series if i'm going into a nightly broadcast with him i am probably feeling so anxious and so hyper vigilant about Mm. sort of regulating and trying to modulate with every sort of offhand or irreverent thing he says and that's not i don't think conducive to a super you know healthy work environment or a good <laughs> yeah, position for anyone on his team. So Richard, I'd be curious, what's like, what's an appropriate reaction? Like, what do we, what should we expect out of teammates that are kind of thrust into the, like my inclination would be like, I just got to keep this train moving. Like I'm going to act like that didn't happen. I, I don't know what, what like the, and I think that's basically what Brian Boucher did. Like I, I like I don't know what what we should expect out of the teammates. Well, I mean, I, again, I can sort of uh, having having seen so, and again, I, I want to be very clear that what Milbury said, it, you know, right. it, it, it it you have to sort of, you, I think you have to judge it obviously against um, other things that have been more horrific. That's not to downplay what Milbury said, but uh, it's just it's sort of in, important in your question, Craig. And that is, I think a lot of times the people on air with someone, they're so, they're processing so much, their brain is focused on the play in front of them. And at the same time, they're listening obviously to their, 
to their fellow um, broadcaster that sometimes it doesn't click. Other times, mm. I'm sure the brain registers, oh, man, why did, why did he or she just say that and what am I going to say? A lot of times yeah. you might even get nervous um, and you, you provide nervous laughter. There are other times where maybe you're just a total asshole and you agree with whatever that statement is. Uh, so <laughs> what I would say is it's just – it's very – it's sort of hard to know in the moment. But having talked to broadcasters, uh, many of them obviously over the years, sometimes they are just so in a moment that they, they, they have no ability to process what was just said. It's the rare broadcaster I think who actually – Processes something and then can respond to it. You know, particularly if it's something that's just, you know, overtly racist uh, or homophobic uh, or something like that. So I, I think, and again, having not talked to Brian Boucher, I think a lot of times somebody says something and you you can't react in real time because your brain just isn't processing it. What it does, and Katie's correct on this, if it's something that's really horrific, you get tagged with that. You get painted with what was said on the air that day. And that's not something you want. I'll give you a, an example. Um, you know, a long time ago when Rush Limbaugh was on ESPN and, um, and, and made his comments that he did about uh, Donovan McNabb and sort of how he was perceived yeah. in Philadelphia, Tom Jackson uh, said repeatedly in many interviews after the fact that he beat himself up all the time for not saying anything in real time to that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not somebody who would criticize Tom Jackson because I understand it. You're on a you're you're on a set. You're in a studio. Somebody says something. There's probably somewhere in the back of your mind, like, "Wow, did that person just say that?" But but you got to react in real time to the to the larger segment, and it's very hard just to stop. Not to mention the fact that, you know, in television, you are generally speaking taught not to sell out your colleagues, not to not to be critical of your colleagues on air. So it it would have taken sort of an extraordinary moment. For Boucher to sort of say like Mike, you know, it's uh, that's not the kind of commentary I agree with or something like that. It's just it's so rare to see someone who is working the same broadcast as you um, to 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 point that to point that out. And again, the thing with Milbury is this isn't a one time thing. Um, you know, he's he's just said stuff over the years that like you know whether it's Tukarask or. Um, uh, you know, the, just the, the whole sort of like, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember what Helene Elliott wrote about there, but just, you know, the, the whole like notion that like, you know, uh, you know, we, you know, we should have, uh, we should, we know we should, we should kick this guy's ass or something like that. You know, it's just, it's that kind of, oh, I take it back. Like it basically, um, Milbury joking about wanting to hurt a player in a, in a painful and permanent way. And I, I'm sure some people find that stuff funny, but like, at a certain point, if there's an aggregate of this, if it's not just sort of one-offs, and if sort of this, you hear these comments over the years, like that is who this this dude is. Um, and not to be an ageist, but it's also very possible that the, just the game as a broadcaster is past Mike Milbury by. He's 68. He doesn't he hasn't coached in the league in a long time. Hasn't been a GM in the league in a long time. Certainly hasn't been a player in in a in a very long time. And and games change. And you know, the best analysts who are of a certain age, like a Hubie Brown and stuff like that, they stay current. They feel current. They talk current. Mike Milbury never, to me, does not. He just remains someone who just doesn't feel current on this. So if I can weigh in a little bit on this. So I think this is a really critical distinction as well. Um, because 
To me, like, I, I do think we have to allow for the fact that people who are talking sort of stream of consciousness, processing a myriad of things um, at breakneck speed, you know, are going to make mistakes. And that's human. And I make mistakes at my job. And that happens. Um, and so I do think that we have to show people grace for their mistakes. However, I will say that to me, the more troubling element of, you know, Mike Milbury's presence is not just, you know, you look at the totality of the commentary and how frequent these sort of comments come up, but the lack of sort of awareness about what makes them offensive, how they make people feel, and, you know, why they're not appropriate in this day and age. If he came back the next period and said, hey, you know what? I was trying to be funny. It wasn't funny. I'm really sorry about that. Yep. This would never be a controversy. Exactly. If he, if he just said, hey, you know what? I actually didn't understand what was offensive about it, but I talked to some people. I'm trying to learn. Bear with me. I'm 68 years old. I, you know, I'm trying to learn and listen and be better. Again, I, that, that controversy would have been nipped in the bud. But what I have not seen is an earnest desire to listen, to learn, to understand, and to improve. And to me, that is the more troubling aspect. All right, let's take a quick break. And I, I do want to get at the response to your column, Katie. I've never, like, it was so, I've never seen anything blow up that quickly, especially on Friday at five or whenever we posted it. But let's take a quick break and we'll jump right back. Today's show is sponsored by Artifact. Artifact sets you up with one of their personal interviewers to capture stories about important people or things in your life. Think of it like a podcast episode about whatever you want. With Artifact, you can capture family history with parents and grandparents. You can talk about friends and family as a birthday, wedding, or anniversary gift, both about how they've made a difference in your life and share some hilarious stories. Uh, I went through the process. I got my own personal Artifact and had a fun conversation with the folks there about my career, my time at ESPN, and going to The Athletic, uh, the process that went behind writing the book Behind the Bench. And they put it together as a very polished, almost like an NPR-type narrative podcast that I would encourage you, I want you to go listen to it, because it was a lot of fun to do. If you want to just hear what it sounds like and get some of those stories about my backstory and the book, Go to heyartifact.com slash creations slash Craig dash Custance dash one. That's heyartifact.com slash creations slash Craig dash Custance dash one. And I'll tweet that out too. But go check it out. Give it a listen. And then if you have some event coming up, a anniversary, a birthday, something where you want to do a very unique gift or get some family history on tape, I would really encourage you to check it out. So when you're ready to make an artifact of your own, use the code FULL60 to get $40 off your first one. That's heyartifact.com and use the code FULL60 for $40 off. All right. So Katie, um, like within seconds of you tweeting that out and, and the beauty of it was like your tweet was perfect your headline was perfect everything was like it was like okay katie's angry let's let's and it was so well articulated as to why um i'm curious to see what the response has been because i know there's people listening to this that are probably like i can't believe you're we're, we're talking about this you guys are blowing this out of proportion i i mean i've heard from those people but when i you know when tuka rast did left the bubble i you know i shared a story about a player who was so so stressed about leaving his family 
and you know shared an anecdote about once that hotel door closes like he's it's gonna sink in he's, he may not see his family for months and people are like you know i'm like so these are human beings and i got a lot of like oh boohoo tuka rask makes eight million i don't want to hear it you know what i mean like the, there's people that just that that have a completely different perspective and your story blew up in such a way that i'm sure you were hearing all kinds of responses what was how would you generalize the response was for you so I would say 90% of it has been very both just like supportive and, you know, I've had a ton of people reach out to me to say like, thank you for addressing that. Because I think everyone, it did feel like there was sort of a collective tipping point where everyone was like enough and it just needed to be articulated. And I'm glad that I did it. And I, people just said, Hey, thank you for kind of articulating what I've been feeling. I've had some people say, I wasn't sure if this was like something that I was feeling, but others weren't. And like, so I think some people were like kind of worried about like the gaslighting element, like if they felt like that was offensive to them, but maybe not to others. So it helped to see that, you know, they were not feeling that way in isolation. Um, Did I get some people who, you know, cursed at me and said very vile things about me and et cetera. Yes. I mean, but you know, I know that going into a story like that, that that is going to prompt some of that sort of response and that's okay. Like I'm, I'm a, you know, I have thick skin and I totally anticipated some of that. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and I think the people that were upset about the... And actually, let me make one other point that I think is really important. I heard from... So this, for whatever reason, this touched a nerve. And I got a sort of more vibrant response from this column than probably anything I've ever written. And sort of the cross-section of the people that reached out to me was really, really fascinating. I got a ton of like women in the business who were obviously like, you know, thank you, you nailed it. Like those were my thoughts exactly. Um, But I would say that I got just as many responses from like, you know, older white middle-aged males too. I heard from coaches, I heard from GMs, I heard from agents, from scouts, from players. So, you know, I had one person be like, you know, you're, you're such a man hater. And and it's like, you know, this, this is not, um, a woman's issue. Like this is an everyone issue. And I, I made sure to bring up the point in my column that, you know, this is not just about, you know, how women feel about this comment. Like that is so, it's not giving anyone enough credit to assume that that just offends women. Like that offends men too. And by the way, you don't have to be fathers of daughters to be offended by that. Like, you know what I mean? Any critical <laughs> yeah, thinking. Yeah, can we retire oh, that, God, that yeah. phrase and that, that whole yes. line of thinking? I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, anyone who is able to think critically, you know, I think can find sort of, you know, the offensiveness in this. And not to mention, I really felt like it was insulting to players too. You know, these guys are away from their families they're taking on sort of these incalculable health risks that are still very uncertain right now. 
you know, to, you know, perform this Herculean task, um, you know, to sustain their livelihood. And I think to ascribe such a one dimensionality to them and to very much revert back to these like very trite cliche stereotypes about men who are professional athletes, their motivations and their attitudes towards women is really insulting to players as well. Um, so it was interesting. All I'll say is like, I heard from as many older men as I did from young women. And that to me, like really tells me sort of like the Overton window and this discussion really has shifted, right? Like people are really fed up and it's not just, you know, a small vocal contingent. Hmm. Richard, I'd be curious. I mean, you've covered versions of this across different sports and different networks. Mike Milbury decides to remove himself. So he's not a distraction, I guess, ironically. Um, what, like, where do you see this going? Because like you said, like, in, you know, isolated, it's not, you know, it's not like, oh, we got to fire this guy. But if we're at this tipping point where people are like, surely there's somebody better, um, you know, they, they have to make a smart business decision. Like, how does this play out from your perspective? Yeah, well, so first off, um, I don't think Mike Milbury made this decision on his own. <laughs> you don't think he was like, hey, yeah, guys. No, and this is not to knock that. Mike Milbury. Like, I, I mean, the, the reality is, you know, you sit down with NBC Sports Management or NBC Sports Management or your media boss sits down with you. Maybe, you know, Milbury's agent is involved and you sort of work through the calculations of sort of what's the best move here. And I think they were smart. You know, they, they don't they're, – they're putting on uh, – a postseason tournament. They want to get viewership. The NHL wants to get viewership. They don't want to, to to have the albatross of Mike Milbury calling games where that becomes any kind of contextual story. That's not the play on the ice. It's just it's not going to happen. So, you know, do I know that if Batman and company called up NBC and said you got to send this guy home? I don't know. But would it surprise me? No. In a million years, not. This is real. Basically, it was the only move that NBC could do. And I give NBC credit. They let. They let the guy himself fall on the sword, which always comes off a little bit, you know, better than uh, NBC removed Mike Milbury. Mike Milbury says that, you know, I don't want to be a distraction and I'm out of here. And it, you know, it's sort of. All right. So then what does that mean? What Where do we lead to heading uh, forward? I don't know Mike Milbury's contractual situation. That would be a big part of this. If Mike Milbury is in his final year of a contract, well, that that that's a major, major factor. When it comes to this stuff, if he's in a multi-year deal, if he's in the middle of a five-year deal, you know, makes it a little bit uh, more challenging to make a move. Um, I, I would say this. I don't think there's any chance Mike Milbury does major games next year for NBC. I think there'd be an outside chance that maybe he, um, you know, he still might have a smaller sort of studio or emeritus role if you're still paying the guy money and, you know, Sam Flood, who I imagine is close to Mike Milbury, wants to try to do his best to save his guy. But Milbury, Milbury's career as a prominent analyst in NBC is over. I, I just I don't think he's um, he's going to return to that spot. Some of that would have to do with his comments. More, I think, has to do with just the aggregate of this and and Milbury's age. And I think NBC also reading the tea leaves um, from all the commentary. You know, I, I obviously I think women. Um, on our site, the athletic gets so much more shit than the male writers do, even though Craig, I'm sure me and you have certainly seen our own fair shit in the comments section. And it's not even close when it comes to social media. And I've no doubt that Katie had to deal with, you know, 
the whole cancer culture, you know, you're just trying to take a guy down kind of bullshit that we see um, far too, far too often. But, you know, in this case, if NBC was smart um, and if NBC sports management wanted to be a little bit sort of forward thinking, I would use this as a, as a way to sort of figure out who might be my next long-term analyst and how can I use sort of use the Milbury spot to bring somebody in or to promote somebody to a position where they'll be, you know, somebody who we as hockey fans are listening to for the next 10 to 15 years. I think it's a, I think it's a massive opportunity for them, or that's how I would look at it. But a lot of this will have to do with, again, what Mike's contract is, where he is in terms of contractual years. Um, Something Katie hit on, you know, if Mike sort of went out there incredibly publicly and said, you know, now with some hindsight and time, I realized that this comment was, you know, absolutely uh, misogynistic. And I think some of the comments I've made over the last couple of years, I could totally understand why, why, why people would criticize me. I'm going to take some time to sort of um, maybe educate myself on on some things. I love the game. I absolutely want to come back. You know, if he sort of if you if if, if th- there's always a way back depending on right. how you want to approach it you know it's the same with tom brenneman if tom brenneman reaches out to the lgbtq community in cincinnati and really makes the effort um to connect with them and be part of them there's a way back for him i think when it comes to calling his reds game so a lot of this will have to do with milbury and you know again without knowing the guy he's 68 he's made a ton of money he's been in the game for a long time i don't know if mike milbury is a person who could who could, who could be that public and sort of say, you know, I got to, I got to change a little bit with, with the time. So it's my long way of saying, if I had yeah. to guess, if you were asking me to sort of best guess for next year, best guess for next year is Mike Milbury's not part of NBC's hockey broadcasting. Second best guess would be that you occasionally see him in some kind of very, very rare um, studio appearances uh, because he still has some contractual term left. Um, I, I'd be curious as a follow up to that, Richard, like how, because I'm not paying as close attention to other sports, but it seems like hockey, you know, there was the Don Cherry thing and Jeremy Roenick is, uh, you know, whatever's happening there is ridiculous. Um, you know, now this, it, it seems like there's uh, the hockey broadcast is going through this difficult transition, I guess, in some, some form or fashion is, is that just where we're at across all sports or is hockey, you know, as it can be sometimes a decade behind how does how much are other sports struggling with uh, this kind of publicly yeah i mean well listen it's all subjective because you know you have a couple you have had a couple of high profile incidents here so i think you know it's it's you can certainly write pieces on you know hockey broadcasting is at an inflection point and then sort of use milbury and and jeremy roenick as um as that sort of thesis and wouldn't necessarily be wrong uh I, i think to answer your question, Craig, sort of in a macro sense, in a macro sense, yeah. all all of these major sports are going through the process of trying to be more inclusive. Um, the the sport sports for essentially most of our life have been, especially in terms of play by play, it's been a white male who's been broadcasting sports, uh, who's been who's been announcing your games. That's essentially um, what what this has been. And if you've seen over the last couple of years, it's still pretty slow, but things have changed. Beth Mallon's becoming the first woman um, in 30 years to do NFL play-by-play broadcasting. That's always been the sort of the glass ceiling when it comes to broadcasting. In the NBA, 
you're seeing Doris Burke as a massively prominent analyst prior to her, Kara Lawson getting um, similar airtime. Sarah Kustak is uh, an Eagles partner with the Nets on the Yes Network, arguably the best regional NBA analyst out there. So things are changing. Um, mm-hmm. I think things still need to change. There's still um, still the dearth of, of people of color in sort of broadcasting circles is large. The dearth of women of color, particularly black women, in terms of play-by-play, almost unheard of. Uh, did a um, podcast not too long ago on my podcast with um, Tiffany Green and Megan McPeak. Tiffany Green calls college football for ESPN. Megan McPeak does um, the WNBA and the G League. Um they're essentially almost uh, subsets of two. You do not see black women calling play-by-play. I'm not talking uh, studio host or anything like that, play-by-play. So just think about that in a country of 30, 330 million people. So these numbers have to change. I do think we are heading in the right direction. I think it will help with younger, uh, more diverse people um, doing in management, doing the hiring. So, um, yeah, I mean, hockey is at an inflection broadcasting point, but that's probably sort of reflective of everybody in a sense is is um, is at this point. But, I, you know, you could also make the same case that hockey has um, has done better in the last couple of years. You know, again, Gage Malesko is a, is a good example of mm-hmm. of somebody who didn't have a job 10 years ago and now does the, the one the whole bullshit, the whole bullshit game, at least is sort of is up in terms of like a woman cannot. Uh, be an analyst or play-by-play as good as a man. If there's one thing in my lifetime, thankfully, that's sort of done, it's been that. You know, I used to grow up hearing, well, you know, I don't want a woman calling a football game or baseball game because their voice is too um, high. You know what? I used to just get, like, such bullshit kind of, like, reasons for X. I think at least in 2020, thankfully, um, those sort of reasons are just have been, you know, buried where Hoffa is. And if nothing else, we're... (laughs) We're heading towards a good place. I'm not saying things don't need to improve. They really do. But, you know, we're in a better place in 2020 than, than we certainly were in 1995. Okay. So let's let's look ahead a bit because there's a U.S. TV deal coming up. And like Richard said, there's opportunity here for NBC. But I want to take one last quick break. We'll be right back with Katie and Richard. All right, so Katie, let's say okay, let's say NBC says, "Hey, we have opportunity here," and you know we've seen Patrick Sharp emerge. Like Patrick's been great, and no surprise. Like he's one of those guys when he was playing, you knew it would be good. Anson Carter's been great. Um, AJ Malesko, we, we mentioned a couple times. I think the breakout breakout star of this postseason has actually been on Sportsnet with Kevin Bieksa. <laughs> is uh like he 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 is great is there like just a th- throwing names around is there anybody you'd say hey even a, a current player like we've seen Corey schneider fill in he's still playing for the devils uh and do a really good job where where what would you like to see in that um spot? i'd love to see you know if you talk about like a uh, current player that I think would be good in the future. I think Keith Yandel's one, and I know he's done a little bit of that. Oh, yeah. Um, Corey Schneider definitely as well. Um, you know, AJ, you know, from everything I understand, really works her butt off, and I and I love that about her. I think she, you know, is very much like a, a rising star. You know, I mentioned Anson Carter um, as well. Um, Jen Botterill, I think, does a great job. Um, so, you know, there's, there's no shortage of, of names here to consider. And, you know, this actually, I think, you know, we should kind of remember that I I think sports are supposed to be like a reflection of society. And, um, 
I think that's why we're at this collective tipping point with Mike Milbury that I don't think his comments in the totality of his commentary is very reflective for like the standards that we seek for people in that position anymore. Um, and I do think words matter. I, I really do. And um, part of that is I, I generally deal with stories that are tremendously sensitive and sort of intersectional with trauma and, and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, words really matter and representation really matters. And so let me tell you just a, a quick story that I remembered yesterday um, from back in the fall. My husband and I were watching football on a Sunday and there was a pregame show on, like a studio pregame show. And my three-year-old daughter looked up at the show and she said, Mom, why aren't there any girls? And like my husband and I just kind of like locked eyes with each other. And it was just like such a kind of like searing moment that I was like, one, I don't have a great, simple, easy answer for that. But it just reinforced, you know, they notice. Like even three-year-olds notice that type of stuff. Now, my three-year-old certainly isn't going to internalize, you know, the comment that Mike Milbury made on Thursday. She's not you know, old enough or precocious enough at three to understand that. But a 10-year-old might. And, and so you have to kind of remember that, like that, you know, this is about the here and now, right? But like, it's also about the future and, and what we want hockey to mean for the young kids that are playing and coming up and, you know, the young people that are thinking about entering the industry for the future is, do we... Do we try to, you know, create a bigger tent? And I think the answer has to be yes. And I yeah. just don't know if that's compatible with that sort of commentary. Yeah. Um, some additional reading, like before we get to the US TV deal, then we'll have to wrap up with that. Um, Ryan Clark has written a couple of really good stories that, that taps into some of this. Uh, a feature on TSN's Kayla Gray. Uh, the Seattle Kraken hiring Everett Fitzhugh as the first NHL black team broadcaster. And then he, he, you know, he wrote something over the weekend, you know, getting at hockey broadcasting and whether or not we're at a crossroads with all these different events. Um, okay, so to, to wrap up, Richard, the US TV deal, it seems like right now, like it's such a weird time to try to be negotiating a huge deal as, uh, you know, of course, there's a global pandemic, but all a lot of these um, networks are now streaming. I, I don't even know what, you know, if it's back on NBC, is it on the Peacock streaming service or what do things look like? What, what are you hearing or how optimistic are you that the NHL can hit a home run in what is now becoming an increasingly huge deal for them because of all the lost revenues without fans? Yeah, I mean, I think the NHL is still in an excellent place when it comes to um, their new media rights deal. They have a property that's, um, you know, that's a tier one property. If you want to sort of put the NFL above every, so we can call the NHL then a tier one A property. But it's a property that um, that draws eyeballs. Um, people are interested in the sport. It's live, which has got immense value still when it comes to uh, the cable universe and the network universe, they have um, pretty good, not pretty good, they have very good demographics when it comes to 18 to 34 year old viewers. 
they have a lot of room to grow when it comes to social media at the moment in terms of the play on the ice they got a ton of great young stars you know whether it's uh you know connor mcdavid or austin matthews etc 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 so to me they're in a very advantageous position nbc clearly needs them because it's a it's a focal point of nbc sports network's programming so they're absolutely going to bid and they're going to you know they're going to increase their bid significantly the question will be is can they can they create a market will someone else be interested i think espn will absolutely be interested at least in kicking the tires on this they'll probably get some i think interest from at least sort of at least peering around from a digital player like an amazon type and so yeah i think they're going to get a big increase i think the sport financially is going to do very well all of these sports have taken mega hits when it comes to revenue coming in with um, the loss of sports and the loss of obviously uh, media buys that they didn't get for a couple months. But yeah, I, I think the NHL is in, in a great position. They got a, you know, it's a good, I, it, you might think it's not a good time for a media right. rights deal, but I would just say it's never not a good time for a media <laughs> rights deal because networks will always pay for this because the, the reality is the cable television and network television universe is just quickly becoming a place for live things, live news, live mm-hmm. sports, live something. Streaming is really becoming the place where sort of your entertainment options go. So, yeah, I think the NHL is in for a big, big media rights increase, and I think they're still fine. Katie, I'll let you uh, have the final word. What's the ideal split? Like, you've written on this in the past. I don't want to put you on the spot because I know you haven't dove into it recently, but you know is 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 an espn getting them a cut i always you know we've always felt like that seems like an important thing like what's the ideal path moving forward for the nhl in the us on television yeah i do think that you know espn having a cut would be an advantageous thing you know for the sport i i do think nbc sports does you know a tremendous job with their programming um but i think having some sort of diversification so you draw as many viewers as you can possibly, you know, draw in is a good thing. Um, And I think that's, you know, I actually think just to kind of bring it full circle, that's a really important point to make here is like, you know, we're amidst a global pandemic here and the hockey has been fantastic, right? So here's this really critical moment for the sport to like kind of grab a captive audience and really gain a foothold, even with, you know, drawing in some fans that, you know, they didn't necessarily have before. Um, And so I think, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, it becomes even more important to be diligent and vigilant about, you know, the way you approach the sport, the way you talk about the sport, the people that you make feel welcome to come to the sport, right? Um, And I think, you know, all of us that love the game have the right to sort of view ourselves as stakeholders in the game to some degree. And I think we have the right to say, what do we want this to look like? What do we think is acceptable? What sort of standards do we want to be met? And I think that's what this whole Millberry thing comes down to is if we're not satisfied with a broadcaster meeting that standard, I think it's incumbent upon us to ask for better. And so I think NBC Sports has a really sort of interesting 
philosophical discussion to be had here. And I will say this also, um, you know, Mike Milbury is responsible for his actions. And, you know, he's had sort of a litany of these playoffs of, you know, comments that I think were unacceptable. But if he, if, if they do decide to bring him back and he continues this pattern of behavior, that's not on just Mike Milbury. That's on Sam Flood and the people at NBC Sports too. And so I do think there needs to be a recognition of this greater responsibility. Well said. You guys, thanks for doing this. this was yeah, really happy to do it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the invite. I want to thank the Athletics Katie Strang and Richard Deitch for joining the podcast, for scrambling the Jets, dropping what they were doing. Thankfully, they had time, and both of them are so busy. So I'm very thankful we could dive into that and have that conversation. It was fascinating. I learned a lot from those two, as I always do. I'd also encourage you to check out, in addition to the Wednesday two-man advantage with Pierre Lebrun, and Scott Burnside. There is a daily playoff edition of Two Man Advantage on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, released at 10 a.m., and that's going to go on throughout the whole 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. So if you want to know about what happened last night, broken down by experts, and they get all the good beat writers in there, it's awesome. Definitely check that out. Uh, And before we wrap up, Check out our comments section for each podcast on the Athletic app. I like to dive in there and hear what you guys have to say. Let me, I'd love to get your feedback on this episode. So go to the Athletic app, find this episode, and leave a couple comments and we can interact there. And lastly, I always appreciate it when you rate and subscribe to Full 60 on Apple or wherever it is you're listening to this. Um, give a review, give us some rating, give us some feedback. It helps us out immensely. I'm going to be off next week, but the next full 60 after Labor Day will be an Eastern and Western Conference final preview. Looking forward to that. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week.